It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. It's the first week of fall. The temperatures have dropped a little bit. The budget is heating up. And we have had a good slew of NC Poll-related news this week. Yeah, after a couple weeks of it being kind of down and quiet, a lot of behind the scenes, it seems now that, as we like to say in eastern North Carolina, we're getting to the short rows, and some things are really starting to move on the budget front, the policy front. It really feels like the end of the regular session is within sight. I need y'all to know that when Brian said the end of the regular session, he used jazz hands. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Jazz hands. Let's go back to Friday. Friday evening, there was an opinion issued on uh, the voter ID, the 2018 voter ID law. It was a bombshell. It hit Friday. We immediately see the press take a hold of this story, and then the responses from both the Republican side and the Democratic side about this decision. Mm -hmm. It has put on pause the voter ID law and, I guess, the state constitutional amendment as well. Yes. And my my understanding was, so we're about to go into municipal elections, that we weren't going to have voter ID for those elections. And we didn't have voter ID for the last election. So the only time that ID has been required in North Carolina to vote was the primary in 2016. This was big news, a Friday news dump, if you will, and that debate continued, I felt, through the entire weekend Mm -hmm. and really bled into this week as well. We had a lot of communication between legislators about this judicial decision. Republicans saying you're invalidating the will of the people. Democrats saying this judge has validated our Constitution. One note about this is that this was a three-judge panel at the Superior Court level. The partisan makeup is something that folks talked about a lot. That panel was impaneled by former Chief Justice Sherry Beasley. And so the two folks that wrote the majority opinion, the two judges that wrote that, are Democrats, and the one dissenter is a Republican. So you can kind of see how that rhetoric played out on Twitter. And if Chief Justice Newby were to impanel a three-judge panel, it would likely be different. So where does the this case go now it could be appealed and again this was at the superior court level i see and so i think what we'll see next is probably the legislative defendants the legislature make a motion for an emergency stay so that while the appeals process is happening the voter id law would be in place so it goes to the court of appeals after this superior court panel After the Court of Appeals, it goes to the state Supreme Court. That's right. What's important to remember about this, though, is that, first of all, it feels like we're getting decisions on voter ID all the time. And this is one iteration of that. It's separate from that 2013 case that everyone references. This was from that 2018 law. And 
Then we had the constitutional amendment and the implementing legislation for that really expanded what IDs would be allowed, university IDs. And I believe in other legislation, we even discussed mobile units that would be able to give folks free IDs if they didn't have them. And the two judges that wrote the opinion really focused a lot on legislative intent and they focused on the historical nature of voter ID. I do think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as far as what that law actually said and whether the expansion would play into that at all. Stay tuned. This will be updated and then updated again. So check back in with me when it's actually the end of the process. If you want legal expertise on this particular subject, I would encourage everyone to go to Twitter where, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I did not realize what legal minds were out there, Sky. Every expert in the world is on Twitter. That's amazing. It's a it's it's like Wikipedia. <laughs> Sadly, Twitter is where I get my news though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on Tuesday, the Senate memorialized former Senator Mark Baznight. It was really a who's who of North Carolina in the chamber. It was really a special day, I felt, for the General Assembly. Not only did the Senate pause its work to honor the former president pro tem uh, who held that seat for 16 years from 1994 to 2011. But the guests that were on the Senate floor on Tuesday, starting with Governor Roy Cooper, who served as majority leader in the Senate under Senator Baz Knight, Republicans, Stan Bingham, Bob Rucho, a lot of elderly senators who have gotten up in age, uh, Senator Charlie Albertson, Bill Purcell. It really was special to see these senators travel to Raleigh to pay homage to a legend in North Carolina politics. And I really thought that Senator Berger really set a great tone uh, on Tuesday because I know that while they had their political differences and they were sharp and they were real and Senator Berger talked about it on Tuesday, I know he had an immense amount of respect for Senator Baz Knight and Senator Baz Knight had an immense amount of respect for Senator Berger. I was really moved by the ceremony on Tuesday. Senator Baz Knight was the pro tem when I started lobbying, and he was a dynamic leader, funny, a people person. He did politics. I felt better, but it's not to say he didn't do politics because he would cut you up and you would have fights, but you know, he never made it personal, Sky. He included the opposition. He wanted debate, just like Senator Berger wants debate. It was a fitting tribute and a special day for the General Assembly. You know, I was talking to a staffer this morning who has worked within the governor's administration and is now working in the legislature. And he was talking about how at the end of the day, it really is such a family at the legislature. Even when folks disagree, they really do care about one another. They do. Also on Tuesday, the Senate heard a House bill, House Bill 814, And it is about autonomous delivery. And I told you I wanted to bring this up because I think it's cool. Let me get this right. We call 
down to Brewery Bavana to get our lunch. Under this bill, they could send a driverless car or robot down the road to deliver this food as long as they don't go over 40 miles an hour. Is that, is that how it works? That's right. There's some stipulations in the bill, like if more than five cars back up behind it, the driverless car pulls over and lets cars pass. And I believe they have this sort of program in Houston uh, with Domino's. That's how they're delivering their pizzas in Houston. And six other states have this. And I believe Representative Sain said that if we're in one of the first states to pass, it's more likely that it's going to come here, be tested here, and maybe bring some jobs for folks creating the cars. All right, so this week we also heard another legislator announced that he is not running for re-election in 2022. He's going to serve out his term. Senator Ben Clark announced that he would not be seeking re-election. And remember, that means that he won't be seeking re-election next year. He'll still be here this year and next year. So as announced by the psychic Brian Lewis himself, When we first started the podcast, you said that redistricting is election day. And once we saw how those maps would look, you would start to see resignations. And that is exactly what's happening. So snaps for you. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Preliminary map showed that Senator Ben Clark was going to be put in the same district as Senator Danny Britt. And, you know, you can make the argument it has to do with that. But there's also... You know, 10 years Senator Ben Clark has been serving, and by the way, serving in the minority. It is a very tough job, as we've said a lot, to serve in the minority. And he has had a very interesting career in the Senate, been seen as a swing vote on budget, on certain policies, especially social issues. He's had quite an impressive career. It seems as if we have had an immense amount of progress at the subcommittee level, the big chair level, and today Speaker Moore says it looks as if it is getting up to the corner offices. Subcommittees met all week last week. They met into the week this week, and then things that they didn't agree on, they flagged, and those things went up to the big chairs to agree on. Things they don't agree on will be flagged and go up to Speaker Moore and Senator Berger. It's also going to be interesting to see how Governor Cooper reacts to the budget and what his counter proposal is going to be, because Governor Cooper has a lot of concerns that he's brought up, and they're not exactly little things, right? These are big pillars. And so you send it back and You've got deals that have been made. You've got compromise that's going to be made. It's really kind of mind-blowing to think about. One of the folks that have been negotiating on the subcommittee level is Representative Brendan Jones. In addition to being the Transportation Subcommittee Chair, he's Deputy House Majority Leader. And we sat down and talked with him about his life, politics, and a little bit about the behind the scenes of being in the leadership. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. 
Representative Brendan Jones, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. To start us off, could you just tell us about your district? What do you think makes it special? Where is it, et cetera? We are at the most southern part of the state, Columbus and Robinson County. My office actually touched the South Carolina line. Uh, We are unique because we sit between Myrtle Beach and Wilmington, so we're kind of that go-between for the beach. And as with everybody that's been here, probably the people make it very unique. It's a unique bunch of folks down our way. Looking at the election data, it is a Democratic-leaning district. And you're the first Republican to, to win this seat since Reconstruction, I hear. Can you talk about the politics of it and how do you win this seat? Well, when I came up and met with the caucus back then, they said, well, you can't, and we're not really getting behind you. Okay. Um, but we're from a very Christian conservative background, and we're more similar than different. Okay. So even though I had an R behind my name and my friends and church members had a D, it was they enjoyed the work ethic. I mean, I knocked on every door. I went to every event. I, I, I did every, and I had done that in the past with business. Mm-hmm. So they knew me. They knew me from our family business. We've been there for 49 years, second oldest business in town. So they, they knew what kind of work ethic I had. And your district has a long history of producing lawmakers that do deliver for the district. At the end of the day, that's what they want, right? Someone to work hard for them, to help them with their needs, and you did this. One interesting fact, my home is the oldest home in town, and I'm actually the third legislature to live in my home. Is that right? So that's, uh, we had uh, D.F. McGugan, who built the home, then his son Frank McGugan, who was a successful attorney, was appointed and served a term, and then of course myself. But yeah, it's, it's got a long history of constituent services. Uh, uh, home of R.C. Souls. Mm-hmm. Uh, R.C. was a family friend for many, many years. and I, I Prominent can, Democrat. Prominent Democrat. But yeah. who, strangely enough, he and former Representative Dewey Hill, mm-hmm. Democrat, mm-hmm. former Representative Richard Wright, mm-hmm. Democrat, all endorsed me in my races. Right. All were, were, were donors and givers and, mm-hmm. and, and would go to events and just stand up and, and praise what I was. And I can remember R.C. in a group. Hey, folks, he, he's, he's a Republican, mm-hmm. but he's one of us. I've known him his whole life. He's a great guy. He's going to serve as long as he wants to serve, and he's got my full support. Wow. So uh, it wasn't so much about party. That kind of had faded away. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you about constituent services. I notice, especially on your social media, you know, you go beyond helping your constituents with a bill or the bureaucracy. I notice you will get on social media because the electricity went off in a town and you're on the phone with the electric company or you're trying to figure out something even with not getting uh, enough cell service on your mobile phone. Like you seem to take your constituent services to another level. Yeah, well, for you your... need to talk to my wife about that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen this. Uh, I mean, you're, you're engaging the private sector as well for your constituents. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's about. You know, they, they had to trust in me to send me here, and, it, and it's for me to figure out how to maneuver to help them. Um, come from a very, very poor community, mm-hmm. and, and even with RC and Dewey and, and Richard, they know this. It's uh, kind of an underserved area. Mm-hmm. So I've been very fortunate coming up here and, and, and made my way through leadership pretty quick and, and got a good spot at the table that I've been able to make a lot of calls for a lot of folks just just to help with the small things, maneuver through unemployment, maneuver through phone services. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a constituent last week, does a BB&T call service. They mm-hmm. cut, her, cut her phone line. 
Hmm. She couldn't work. Okay. CenturyLink told her it'd be six to seven days. Made a phone call. We had her up that night. Wow. It's just the little things. It doesn't. It's not money. It's just service. Yeah. Those are rewarding things too. Oh, it is. It's, yeah. it's, 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 as Jamie Bowles told me one time, it's the most rewarding and the loneliest job you'll ever have. So let's take a step back. How did you initially decide to get into politics? You moved into the home and someone knocked on the door and they're like, hey, <laughs> you got to be a legislator now. One thing about me, I'm very huge in my faith. Okay. Um, and the good Lord was, was tapping my heart to do something. And I had no idea what. I, I had just started back, you know, had, had the kids and, and we're going back to church. And, and the Lord was just pulling on me. And I was like one day and I, I went to the preacher and I said, you know, pray for me. I'm trying to figure out where I'm getting led. But it, it, it just kind of involved, uh, you know, I, I got approached. I said, hey, we need somebody at the uh, Board of Elections. We need a Republican member at the Board of Elections. Would you do it? I said, nah, please. So got there and started knowing some of our elected officials and, and kind of seeing where we were in our county, how we were ranking, and, and the, the house seat just kept kept nudging at me. I kept watching that member, and I said, we, we can do better. Mm-hmm. You know, we can do better than this. We, we can bring stuff to Columbus County. And just threw my name out, and every, it, it was one of the funniest things a lot of people ever seen. They laughed. It was hilarious. Uh, no help. Didn't know what I was doing. Uh, ran the first time, and I came up three points short. Hmm. But uh, that got a lot of attention. And then uh, Governor McCroy reached out to me. And I met with his staff over in Wilmington, and they said, hey, we, we want to get into Brendan Jones' business. Nobody has ever run numbers like you have in that part of the state. Hmm. So he appointed me to uh, Southeastern Community College, trustee. Hmm. And they started building those political relationships hmm. from there. And then one thing led to another, and here I am. So you have some ties to the community college, right? Mm-hmm. Going back to your teen years. I understand that it wasn't always easy as you were in high school that you kind of kind of had a, a humble beginning. Can you talk a little bit about your early life in the area? Yeah, just, you know, typical typical life. Uh, Mom, dad had a brother seven years older, so he was so much older, I really didn't even know him until we were in our 30s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, in high school, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. And that was in the early 90s. And so being from a small area, she needed to get to Charleston. So the best way to do that was my dad rented a hotel room at the Sheridan four days a week. Uh, But he made a deal with the local headmaster that I could be signed out at 12 every day and go home. And uh, I actually ran two businesses, went to high school, and went to Southeastern Community College at night for college courses. Wow. Yep. Wow. And in this time, the Lord knew I wasn't very smart, not the great ladies' man. So uh, he sent me a girl very local, and I've dated my wife. Uh, she was 15. I was 16, married at 20. So we've been married 27 years, grew up a half a mile down the road. Kind of the rock of the family. Yeah, yeah. Does that early beginning in the area, is that something you reflect on as a legislator? Does it shape the way you legislate now? I mean, that blue-collar work ethic, being organized, all of that? You know, my, my hobby growing up was working. We didn't do sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was self-employed, and he came from Georgia, met my mom. My mom was a military brat and moved to North Carolina knowing no one mm-hmm. and opened up a used car business. Uh, his entire inventory was probably about $1,000. Mm-hmm. And he worked seven days a week, 100, 110 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So we worked. We worked hard. We worked very hard. And uh, But that work ethic is what's pushed me through. I, I know nothing but get up and go to work. That's mm-hmm. that's what we do. So you're very fast-paced. Your social media is constant. Your Man, office I'm, I'm is... The, I'm the easiest teddy bear in the building. <laughs> <laughs> being a small business owner, being hard charger, does the pace of the General Assembly, maybe the slower pace, 
how do you deal with that? Oh, days like that kills me. I, I like I like to be rolling. So yeah. I mean, last night I was debating: do I drive home and then drive back up here? Because <laughs> you know, I, I I am a family guy. My wife and two girls, and my oldest is in Campbell now, so I always stop in. Uh, that that is my my world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my my relationship with Christ, and then my family, then business, then the legislature. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's you know, you got to have your priorities right, and if you got your priorities right, everything else falls in place. Yeah. The two what two and a half hours back to your house? Uh, if I could cover the mic, it's about a, it's about a little less than two hours if you drive it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's it's a little over two hours. Right. Speed limit. Okay. So speaking of your family, you said you have two girls, and your oldest just started college. Yes. I heard that that has been a difficult transition for you. Yes. But she is nearby. Mm-hmm. And your younger one, I also heard that you're a dance dad. Uh, well, Savannah Grace, the oldest, she started dance at two. Okay. So she did it all the way through high school. Uh, my youngest, Ella, she did it till last year, but she's become the volleyball girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. And has just done phenomenal. Both of them outstanding dancers. I got awards that we'll never be able to place because we don't have a house big enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she has become a phenomenal volleyball player. And Savannah Grace, I'm going to give her a toot out right now. She got accepted to Campbell in the early assurance to medical school straight out of high school. Wow. So luckily they took after their mom. <laughs> Very lucky that they took after mom. But both, both girls are great. Just good, good kids. I've been so blessed with my three girls on. Did you find it hard to balance being a priority family man with being here at the legislature? Well, my wife and children have always noticed and, and been a part of my work career. At one time, I also ran an auto body shop, and I would work the car business all day long, go home, eat supper, see them, and go back and work the body shop till 2 or 3 in the morning, wow. get back up at 6 and start my day. So they kind of got used to me not being around so much. I, I, I didn't miss anything. I was at every event, but, but Dad had to go out and do the grind. So mm-hmm. they, were, they were used to that. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your leadership role in the House? Uh, you and your close friend in the General Assembly, uh, Rules Chairman Destin Hall, have really risen up quickly within the leadership. And you can feel and see kind of the ripples that you make in the House Caucus. Can you kind of reveal for listeners exactly the role you play? And I'd also like you to talk about how you work behind the scenes to not only look out for your area, but to push your agenda. Well, I'm going to step back even further just to let you know how the Lord works in mysterious ways. So I get this young seatmate named Destin Hall from Lenore. No idea who this kid is. Uh-huh. But at that time, we had a pastor that was originally from Lenore. Okay. Who was Destin's mentor in baseball. Interesting. So we got that connection to start with. Seatmates for two sessions ended up being roommates as well. So it's nice to have um, yin and yang, freaking frack, black and white, because we have two very different styles. Yes, you do. It's noticeable. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I hate to say leadership, but with with his rules chair style and my style, we're able to bounce off of each other. And at night, you know, over uh, over dinner and we'll kind of go through the next day's events and. He can't buy this gray hair. This, this gray <laughs> hair is something you can't buy. So, uh, Destin is one of the smartest young men I have ever met. Mm-hmm. Uh, very wise beyond his years, but he does look to my age mm-hmm. and my wisdom that I guess I have. Uh, but then my time being on earth to help him navigate a lot of what he does. And, and we, 
we, we bounce off a lot of stuff and it's been very successful and, and his tenure as rules chair has proven his his style works with me pushing him a little bit in that back you are a part of the leadership you are you chair transportation committee you seem to be involved in a lot of legislation is it a matter of you just getting in there and working it well there's a lot of important aspects of being in leadership and, and one is trying to have a little bit of knowledge of everything that's going mm -hmm. through so and and we have junior members and even members that serve longer than i have that i i guess they appreciate bouncing ideas off and and looking at avenues and uh transportation has went well we're negotiating that out yesterday and and senator mckinnis told me so brendan this usually takes four days mm -hmm. we've done it in six hours he mm -hmm. said thank you for just having everything ready and my staff madison and jeff they do a great job keeping me abreast of what's going on, uh, getting keeping me information. I, I worry them. I, I told them when I hired both, I said, have your phones all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't sleep. I will text you at 2 in the morning, 6 in the morning, 5 in the afternoon. You don't have to respond there, but when you wake up, get me this information. Mm -hmm. and, and they're great at getting me everything that I need. And uh, serving as deputy leader, I get part of that job of trying to get the frogs in the wheelbarrow mm -hmm. and, and getting everybody on the same page in caucus and, and maneuvering through the many personalities that we have in the house you were gracious enough to attend one of our do politics better dinners prior to the pandemic when we were hosting dinners and a democratic legislator uh, who you were paired up with we we pair up a republican and a democrat and you were with senator mike woodard and he said that since that dinner he's been able to engage you on transportation issues that he feels that he got to know you better can you talk about how you go about doing your work, especially in transportation, which I know can be political. Uh, the politics of transportation in this state go back 100 years. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you go about being both a conservative, representing a district that leans D, and then also working with Democrats when you have an opportunity? Yep, and when the speaker uh, asked me to take over transportation, one of the first things I did, I went to a minority leader, Robert Reeves. Yeah. And I told Robert, I said, look, I don't know how it's been run in the past, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, I want to engage your folks. Becky Carney has done transportation for many years, mm -hmm. and Becky was actually the first Democrat to ever come to me and want to work with me. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So I've got great respect for Becky, mm -hmm. and Zach Hawkins is the, kind of their transportation guy, and I got with Zach, and I met with Becky, and I met with Zach, and I talked to Robert, I said, you know, transportation really doesn't need to be political. We're mm -hmm. all going to use roads and ferries and bicycles and all that good stuff. And let's make sure that we're looking at this from the 30,000 view mm -hmm. and make sure we're doing right by everybody. So I engaged them early on and asked them to be part of what we were doing. And of course, we're going to set the policy. Mm -hmm. That's what we've been elected to do. But Zach's look at stuff as a young man and then Becky's knowledge of just having the institutional knowledge and just knowing a lot of stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. she's a world of knowledge if you get to know her. Mm -hmm. So they were very instrumental in helping formulate what we did. And um, Robert's just been very gracious. He's, mm -hmm. he's not tried to rule with any kind of, you know, authoritative I'm the Democrat and we're going to push this again. So he's been very gracious with his folks working with us. And uh, we we had no snafus in transportation. I mean, we worked across the board and, and, and did very well. And one of the things I, I like about you being chair of transportation, I don't work on transportation issues, but I'm from Duplin County. And it seems to me from an economic development standpoint in rural North Carolina, which you represent, that seems to be the key is good roads getting commerce moving into the area having access to the interstate it's refreshing to have your perspective in there eastern north carolina especially needs good roads i can remember 
and, and I carried my daughter downtown Tabor City a while back. She said, Dad, tell me what these stores are. And I was going through, she said, gosh, what a cool place to live at to have all that stuff. Yeah. And I can remember, uh, you and I are old enough to remember NAFTA, mm-hmm. but NAFTA was announced from the steps of the Violin Station in Whiteville, North Carolina by then-President Bill Clinton. Was it really? And I can remember hearing the vacuum of Columbus County. Tabor City had five small mills, seven tobacco warehouses. At one time, Tabor City had more millionaires per capita than any city in North Carolina. It was small, but it was a very prosperous, Mm -hmm. uh, which sounds crazy, but but it was. It was very prosperous. Everybody had jobs. Everybody worked. And here I come, and... Now we're trying to figure out how do we get something near Tabor City that we can drive. And, and roads are the way. I told the speaker up front, I said, now I will do everything I can, but we're going to look after small town North Carolina. And he said, that's exactly why I want you there. Speaking of your area, it's no secret that y'all have been hit by storms, hurricanes, and you've really been at the forefront of that. Can you talk about constituent services during an emergency? Yeah, it was, uh, those were some crazy times. So the first, the first hurricane I was actually running and, uh, we just shut down business and just went out full, full force. Uh, we've got a little business with Jamie Bowles over and, um, you may not know this, I'm a licensed funeral director as well. I didn't know that. So we've got the little funeral home over in Fair Bluff and we had just purchased that funeral home and the storm came and I'm sitting there. It was one of the only of the five or six businesses that survived. Mm-hmm. And I was downtown the next morning the hurricane. We got people walking down the railroad tracks, waters up to their knees, holding trash bags with their, their belongings. That's all they had. I was like, gosh, we, we, we got to do something. Mm-hmm. Not elected at that time. I reached out to McCroy's staff. And we got the National Guard now. We did everything we could. And the election came around, and the governor lost. And here we go. We get elected. We come back up in another 500-year hurricane. Mm-hmm. But my wife kind of took the helm of that one. She found a warehouse. She started getting supplies in. She called the company. She got 3,200 pounds of ice in, so we had the ice. Wow. Got it with Walmart, got a gift card shipped in. Her and the ladies went down and bought dollars $3,500 worth of cleaning supplies and just stuff that we knew. Uh, we found a company, uh, sent us a bunch of MREs. I called a sock company out of Surrey County, got socks. We kind of knew what was coming with the second one. Yeah. And we almost had like an assembly line. Mm-hmm. Had volunteers come in. We had our own warehouse. And we were able to fill the gaps that the state couldn't mm-hmm. fill. Uh, we got Helping Hands Ministries out of around Mecklenburg to come in. We had meals immediately. And we kept that up right on to about two months after the hurricane. That's amazing. So yes. we just, we just kind of knew what it was going to be. And. You know, we were doing the, we were with the police going out, evacuating homes, setting up shelters, you know, getting people out, getting pets out. That was a big deal, you know, getting the dogs and cats rounded up as well. So, but that's, you know, we're elected to serve. You must, you must serve before you can serve. And you're working this year in the budget. I know you and Majority Leader John Bell and some others are working on some flood mitigation issues. Are we going to get a budget this year? I know that item is important to you, but you feel optimistic we're going to get somewhere? Well, we're, we're certainly closer than we were. Mm-hmm. Uh, like yesterday, you know, I, I sat in from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. with uh, Senators uh, McKinnis and Sawyer, mm-hmm. uh, and I actually, we, we, we are probably about 98% done with transportation side. Okay. We just had a great meeting. Uh, we, we had communicated a lot in advance, kind of cross hurdles that we had to cross, but of course, you know, there's a few things we had to kick upstairs and uh, met with uh, Representative Sane last night, told him those items. They're working on those today, so I, I think we're getting close. Mm-hmm. I, I'm optimistic that we'll get a budget here very soon, and 
Uh, I think the governor has been uh, communicating well with leadership, and uh, I think he really wants to sign a budget as well. Our politics are incredibly politicized and have become more so in recent years. If you could fix one thing about our politics with a magic wand, what would it be? There's just so many things. I don't know that one thing would fix it because one thing didn't break it. Hmm. Uh, But I think people are gonna have to turn back into their selves and look at their hearts and who they are Hmm. and quit. You know, one, one thing that I did, I'm guilty of when I got here was judging. We can't judge because of someone's registration. We can't judge for what party. Every person that serves in that chamber has a heart for serving the state. Mm. But we've got to get our hearts right to serve the people and not an interest. And I think that's one of the biggest things. Is we, we've got to try to, as Representative Richard Wright said, he said, when we got there, we, we were only about that far apart, about an inch apart from having everything ready. Now we're about six miles. Mm-hmm. So closing that gap, working across you always love to hear working across the aisle, but you do have to work across the aisle. You've got to find that moderate area because too far right, too far left, you're not going to get there. And it's coming to that middle ground and doing just what's best. And I think we've got to work harder at coming to a middle ground. Well, Representative Brendan Jones, we appreciate everything you do for your district, everything you do for southeastern North Carolina and the state. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you guys. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. If you follow Representative Jones on social media or you follow him through the media, or if you just see him in front of committees, you might have this opinion that this guy is hard charging, high energy, a little loud, maybe even abrasive. But I really feel like this interview showed the other side of him, the side that you and I saw when we first invited him last year to a Do Politics Better dinner. Yeah, he is loud, Mm -hmm. but he can, I think in one-on-one conversations, you can see the depth of him as a person. Representative Jones is very compassionate and he, he has a soft spot. He loves the area he's from and he loves the people. Don't let that gruffness throw you off because uh, like a lot of gruff people, they have uh, kind of a soft spot inside. Yeah, we knew that when he was talking about his little dog that he's obsessed with. Nixon. Yes. Yeah, yeah. By the way, that was a really good ad coming out of the interview. Did you hear the ad? I heard the ad. Was that your voice? (laughs) Turns out I'm a star. (laughs) That's right. Now, we want to thank the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association for being a sponsor of the Do Politics Better podcast, they joined the North Carolina Travel Industry Association in sponsoring the podcast, but their ad debuted this week, and we really appreciate them. Go visit their website and... and Hashtag bring back the growler. Bring back the growler, Tim Kent. We really want it. The people are asking for it. You ready for the Tweet of the Week jingle? Ready. I sing it, you do the percussion. Okay. You ready? Yes. Tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. 
I don't do it the second time. I, it's perfect, though. <laughs> I think we just created a jingle. Plug, yeah. Yeah, good for us. Yeah, good for us. What you got? Tweet of the week this week. We are recording this on Thursday afternoon. Mm-hmm. This was this afternoon when the speaker was making some announcements in session. The tweet's from Don Vaughn. He said, I'm going to give some updates. It is September, and we are still here. <laughs> Yes, we are, Mr. (laughs) Speaker. Thank you for the update. He did give us some updates. He did. Substantive updates. Said that he's going to be with Senator Berger in the next couple days. He did explain the process, which I thought was helpful, especially to new lobbyists in the building, freshman legislators. And I think it was good that he acknowledged as well some of the hard work that happens at that subcommittee and big chair level. I mean, we've heard reports, right, of subcommittee chairs and chairs and staff staying well after midnight negotiating these different budgets. It it was good to get the update and to hear that acknowledgement. Just a gentle reminder that I think the Senate started their budget meetings in January. Yeah. So some of those Senate staff and the House staff started thereafter that those folks have been in those meetings for months and months. Yeah, so we're here for the long haul celebrated Labor Day here. I believe that we are going to be wearing Halloween costumes in October down at the General Assembly. Don't you do that every year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know that they do, they do allow kids to come in, and mm-hmm. a lot of the L.A.s give out candy to kids. They come trick-or-treating at the GA. And little-known fact that a lot of the kids that do come to the General Assembly are from the schools of the deaf and the blind. And it's it's really a special day down at the General Assembly. If you go down and watch it, it's, it's really great to see the kids going door to door. And the L.A.s are just, and legislators that are there, are just so great to them. This week, we got in our koozies. They look so great. And we've been getting orders in, and we've been delivering them to legislators and legislative assistants and other lobbyists. We even put them on our website, new-frame.com. You could also go to dopoliticsbetter.com and you can see our koozies on the website. And I shipped some to my mom yesterday, so they'll be across the country. Okay, I know kickball season is over, but there has been some talk between us and some legislators and And some staff and some lobbyists about having a kickball game place to be determined. But do you think we could pull off a kickball game between legislators and lobbyists and staff? I think we could. Yeah. John majority leader, John bell has expressed an interest in getting a legislative team up. We have been talking to a few lobbyists about getting a lobbyist team up. Some staffers have been talking about getting a team up. I don't know if we have three teams, four teams, or we just do two teams. But you interested in this maybe this fall? I am interested in this. So this is what we want from listeners out there. If you are interested in playing in a kickball game that would include lobbyists, legislators, staff, Hey, let's invite the media as well. Yeah, maybe we could just use one of those apps to randomly assign teams so that it could be a mix. A 
good mix. Yes. Reach out to us when you see us in the building or post on social media. Send us a message. There's probably about 10 of us interested right now, but we would like to see what this grows into because I think if the legislature needs something, it's definitely a kickball game. We're here. Might as well have fun with it. Absolutely. Well, that is our podcast for this week. Jazz hands. (laughs) Jazz hands, yes. We hope that you have a great weekend this weekend. It looks like it's going to be a beautiful fall weekend. We hope that you have a great week next week. And remember to do politics better by joining our kickball team. (laughs) Stop. You have to do everything I do all the time. You have to do everything I do all the time. <laughs> and you think I'm codependent with Brit? <laughs> Take a look in the mirror, sir. <laughs> <laughs>